if this whole experience has taught me one thing is that numbers, percentages, averages are helpful, but everybody literally is unique. So even though doctors tell you, you know, from all the eggs that fertilize on average, we get, I don't know, 30% become embryos, this might not be what happens in your case. You might get less or you might get more. I got way less eggs than we thought we would get. It, it turned out that a lot of my follicles were actually empty. The second, get a third, get a fourth, get a fifth opinion. Like, truly trust your gut. Like, when you find the right doctor, you will know that that is the doctor for you. Right, hello and welcome to my very, very first episode it's super weird exciting all at once to be sitting here all by myself this time and today's topic is a very very personal one and sensitive one um, since it's about my personal IVF journey I teased a little bit um, on that topic on my Instagram channel um, basically saying that I, I went through this and that I really wanted to record a podcast on it and the reason really was that, you know, it feels like such a important topic, such a taboo topic. And something I've realized that so many couples go through, so many women go through, if you consider egg freezing, and that's just a shame, right? That it's people don't really talk about it much, that it's still something that you kind of feel like, oh, you need to be quiet about. Um, so yeah, I just felt like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to build this platform on my podcast and it truly is also a new chapter, a, a new beginning and probably the hardest new chapter I had to start. So to take it from the very beginning, like I always say, um, in today's episode, I really want to provide five key takeaways. Um, five key takeaways that I learned that helped me go through it. Um, and then also one bonus advice for everyone who um, basically knows someone going through it, right? Like kind of for partner, friends, anyone who's not doing the shots, everything themselves, but just feels like I would love to know what to do. So I will have one bonus tip for those people as well. But yes, to take it really from the beginning, I, I just want to give you a really quick overview about what IVF is, why I decided or me and my husband decided to do it uh, and then jump into my five tips. Um, quick disclaimer up front. I know these are always very important when you say anything online. Um, all of this is my personal experience. I'm not a medical professional, so really can just talk about how I experienced this. And, and I'm just hoping what I learned, what I experienced, maybe can help even one person out, out there. And that honestly also helps me to go through it. So also, of course, with kind of any explanation about what IVF is, again, I'm not a doctor, I, I will try to keep it very brief, because this video is not about, you know, explaining the ins and outs of IVF. But I think it's still important to kind of give you a quick overview for someone who maybe might not be as familiar with it. Important to consider really, and something that I haven't even realized when I started this process is that while men sperm is being reproduced every 24 hours, women are born with all the eggs we'll ever have. And while you might have heard this in biology class, I, I'm sure I've heard it, I, I don't think it's truly clear about what that really means, right? Um, and especially, you know, these days, and I am the first to really, you know, scream loudly about equal rights and, and women's careers. But the problem is that kind of our ambition has not aligned with um, with the natural way that, you know, our bodies were designed to. Because unfortunately, while many women, right, especially nowadays, most of our friends think like, 
oh, we can leave the um, whole chapter about babies and, and conception to our 30s. The problem is that in your 30s, your fertility starts to decline like crazy. So when you're at the age of 35, basically that egg reserve, meaning all these eggs that you still have, starts to really, really rapidly decline. So I got my fertility checked when I was, uh, I believe the first time, 28. I'm 30 now. And um, back then, everything looked really good. So in the way that you can check your fertility, and I truly, truly, truly recommend this to everyone, especially if you're in your late 20s or in your 30s and you kind of, you know, are not actively trying yet and you do want to have children, really go and get a test that I recommend it to all of my friends having been through this because, you know, knowledge is power. And uh, it's better to know sooner rather than later in case there's an issue because then doctors can just help you that much more. So essentially, two things are tested if you want to go and test your fertility. One is your AMH level, and that's the anti-Muller hormone. And that is basically an indication of what my fertility doctor calls your savings account. Um, so basically how many eggs you have in that reserve. Because while no doctor can actually, you know, kind of take a camera or take any instrument and look and actually tell you, like, you have, I don't know, a thousand eggs left, this anti-Miller hormone level does give some sort of indication how many you have left. Because if it's especially kind of on the lower side, it is an indication that, you know, there might not be that many eggs left. Um, and also to consider while you only ovulate one egg per month, more follicles are released each month. So let's say in a average cycle, 20 follicles containing small eggs are released. Um, so you might be losing, right? Like, oh, you are losing way more than just one egg per cycle, but sometimes 20, 30 or more, right? So I think that's something really important to keep in mind because, again, that was something that I was thinking like, well, we're born with millions of eggs, then, you know, there's plenty of time if you ovulate just one egg, but that's just not how our body works. So this anti-Miller hormone is what you can use to check the savings account, a glimpse of how many eggs you might still have. And the second one is uh, basically an ultrasound. Um, and with the ultrasound, they can basically look at how many follicles you have. So that's something, again, my doctor refers to as your checking account, right? Because that's way more short term, looking at how many follicles actually, you know, your body produces each month. Um, and again, that's also an indication for your general fertility, because if you have only a few follicles, again, this could be a sign that there might not be that many eggs left. So with those two values, these are kind of what they take to give you any indication about where you are in your fertility, how your egg reserve looks like, and also if you would be a good candidate for IVF. So for me, I did this about probably like two years ago, the very first time, and both values were great. They were kind of upper average for my age because basically they look at it in different age brackets. So I thought, great, wonderful, I have time. Uh, we weren't actively trying then, great. Um, then basically when we did start trying and nothing was happening and nothing was working about six months in, and they do tell you if you're under 35, you can wait up to a year to get tested, but I'm a bit of a control freak so, <laughs> and my husband loves to have data. So we were both like, you know, let's just get both tested and see what's going on. So, um, and that first test was really, you know, kind of shocking for me because I felt so confident having done the same test six months ago, thinking like, well, I know I'm fine. So, you know, let's, let's see, maybe there's something else, but not for a second going in, did I think like, oh, there could be something wrong. Um, well, but that second test revealed that my anti-Miller hormone had declined by, I think, 
over 60%. And that was insane and crazy because normally at my age, again, under 30 at that time, it does not decline by more than like 5% max. So that crazy decline was completely, you know, unexpected. And my doctor at that time um, didn't even, you know, kind of understand why this could have been. Now, I have different kind of thoughts on why this might have occurred. Um, you know, I had kind of COVID in between, and I know there's a lot of studies still being done on how really COVID also influences your reproductive health. I think there have been some studies already that determined that it does impact sperm quality. And so I don't want to, you know, kind of speak out of line and claim like COVID was the case, was the reason why my AMH declined. No, absolutely not. But it could have been one of the reasons, right? Because in those six months, that is really the only huge thing that changed in my life. It was different in my life. So yeah, basically we, we got it tested. It was very weird. Um, and, and again, that level doesn't really tell you, you know, like, oh, it will be harder for you to conceive naturally. It does not at all. It's more about like, okay, how is your right, like savings account? How does it look like? And then of course, I can also give you an indication about IVF success. So um, we kind of continue to try naturally. Um, again, it, it, it didn't work. Um, so I got it retested probably about three months after that. And then had declined again. So I think from that point on, it was like a, probably an 80% decline from the first value to the one tested almost a whole year ago. And, and here too, also to, you know, important thing to probably note and say that some fluctuations in AMH level are normal, right? So it, it and there are also so many different studies on this. And I've done so much research also on it um, because some doctors say like, well, it doesn't change much, but if you look at different literature, there are some fluctuations. So I think fluctuations can be expected, but in my case, it was just such a drastic change, right? Like a, an over 80% decline within a year at age 29 at that point. So that really led to the decision that we said, like, hey, let's do IVF. Because while, you know, normal, again, I don't want to say normally, um, but on average, women are uh, tend to be a bit older who go into IVF, um, you know, or have like bigger issues where they know they can't conceive naturally. I think for us, it was just really kind of the, the scare of like, we don't know what my AMH level will do. And what if I literally run out of eggs, right? Um, and that's a really scary thing because once you're out of eggs, there's no doctor in this world who can do anything for you. I mean, the only option from them is to get a um, egg donor and then to basically have someone else's egg then fertilized and being put back in your body. But also genetically, that wouldn't be your child, right? So um, it's a very scary thing to think, right? Like that you can technically completely run out of eggs and then what? So, and while there's completely no guarantee with anything of this, and I really want to preface this because I think that's such an important thing to note, like IVF or any other help that you get from doctors does not guarantee you're a baby, 100% no, but it increases your chances, right? And there are some probabilities. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that was basically the reason why we decided to do IVF, to um, increase our chances, to have a child, to have hopefully more than one child, because that is also something that was really important to us. And just to try to create almost like a stable savings account, you could say, right? Like just because simply not knowing what is what's going on with my body, like why that AMH was declining. So basically then we went through, or I guess I went through the stimulation process this um, year in June. And um, just before I kind of go into that, just want to preface, um, I know I, I did say my AMH declined by 80%, but I do not really want to tell like exact 
values in this video and also now when I go into talking about the stim phase I don't really want to tell you like oh this is how many follicles I got just because when I watched other videos about this I felt like you start comparing yourself and you start thinking like oh my god this woman's image is I don't know three or four and my image is only two or you know this woman got 50 follicles and I only have 10 like I just don't want to you know kind of create or contribute to that so whoever listens to this video I just really want to provide you know helpful information um, but not so much like a comparison point because if this whole experience has taught me one thing is that numbers percentages averages are helpful but each body is truly unique. And I think that's such an important learning. And it's not even going into my, my five main tips yet, but it's just really something I want to preface because truly I have learned and that, you know, my age, for instance, is not where the average is for a woman my age. Um, but then there are also other things that happen during the stimulation phase, you know, that were way better than on average. So it's just kind of, you know, kind of trying to, take yourself away from oh what did this other person get in terms of numbers and just really more about this is how the experience was for me and this is what I took out from it so basically yes we went through the stimulation phase in June and just to again give you a brief insight about what the stimulation phase is basically what happens in IVF is that at first you um, are giving yourself different medications different shots to basically be able to gain more than one egg in that cycle right so as i said in the beginning normally let's say you have about 20 20 follicles but only one of in one of the follicles one mature egg is created which is then ovulated so during the ivf stimulation phase and that's by the way also exactly the same if you want to do egg freezing um, you give yourself shots of different hormones like lh luteinizing hormone or fsh follicle stimulating hormone to basically get more than one egg right so you basically want to harvest all of these follicles your body can produce in this one month and while, you know, it's not possible to guarantee that you will gain, you know, X from all of these follicles, doctors just really try to increase your chances to get as many as possible. So that's what happens if you start IVF to, you know, get to, to, to a baby or if you start egg freezing, right, to just harvest some eggs and kind of preserve your fertility. So for about, in my case, I think it was two weeks. It was quite long. You give yourself different shots, um, two to three sometimes per day. Um, to basically try, right, like to get all these follicles to grow. And then um, you basically go in to different um, monitoring appointments, ultrasounds, where then doctors, um, or your doctor can look and see how everything's progressing, how everything's looking. And based on that, they can then either, you know, kind of adjust your medication if needed, or also can really tell like, okay, this, we're coming closer to egg retrieval. The second step is the egg retrieval procedure, where then in a small surgical procedure under anesthesia, it's not general anesthesia, so you can totally breathe on your own. It's just a drug that is administered to you, so you fall asleep, and it's honestly probably the best nap I had in my life. And that's where they use um, like a super long needle. I know it sounds very scary, but honestly, it wasn't painful at all to basically retrieve all of these different uh, follicles, the, the liquid from the follicles and all these different eggs that were hopefully there. And then from then, if you do egg freezing, then all of these eggs are frozen. And then, you know, kind of you can access them whenever you're ready to proceed with your fertility plans. Or in my case, then 
we did um, a combination of IVF and ICSI. IVF in vitro fertilization, where basically then your egg is put together with sperm in a petri dish, and then they are given 24 hours to basically meet and hopefully, you know, fertilize. Um, or the other option, ICSI, is where basically one sperm is taken and injected into the egg. And with that, you also hope that it fertilizes and creates um, an embryo. So that's basically the, you know, kind of the process themselves. Then um, the fertilized egg is given about five days to really, you know, kind of create, go to this blastocyst stage. That's when they can be frozen or, you know, kind of proceed with the embryo transfer whenever you're ready for that stage. So that's kind of the, you know, kind of more what happens, how it works. Um, now I really want to go into really my five top tips and what helped me go through this stim phase. And in this video, I really want to focus on the stim phase. Um, I haven't experienced a second stage yet, so not something I can talk about yet with the embryo transfer. Um, whenever I go through it and if I feel like, you know, something I want to talk to, I can certainly also record an episode about it. But for now, I really want to focus on what helped me go through the stim phase because it is an incredibly difficult time. You um, are injecting yourself with shots every day, as I mentioned, two to three these are hormones. Um, they really make you feel um, quite, you know, I guess different feelings for every person. For me, it was quite shocking to see, you know, how um, I don't really, I want to use the word depressed very carefully, but you do just feel very heavy and you feel very, you know, kind of sad and just, you know, not like I'm a very positive, light, happy person. So I did simply not expect that it would have such an impact on me. So that was quite tough, right? That emotional part. And of course, you also have that physical part of having to jab a needle into yourself every day or sometimes three needles. And that's really tough. So um, now when I really jump into those five tips that really helped me go through it um, and helped me come out on the other end and also made it in some way or form um, quite positive, right? Or as joyful as it can be. So, and that's really the first tip. Um, and that is find joy in the process itself. And I know that sounds really weird and you might be like, what do you mean find joy in what? And like jabbing needles to myself? Listen, <laughs> um, I truly believe there is joy you can find, right? So for me, for instance, in school, I always loved chemistry. So having to mix the medication and having to, you know, to kind of create, sometimes you have to, you know, take the syringe and pull the medication in or take like a first, put the syringe in a liquid medication and mix it with a, um, with a kind of a powder medication super you know like not crazy exciting but it did remind me a bit of like those experiments I love doing in school so for me I was kind of you know thinking about that and that that is a bit um, you know gave me a little bit of joy my second thing in this joyful bucket was to just simply organize all of the medications nicely and I know that's such a small and you might think a weird thing but I'm a bit of an organization freak. I always love to like label things, put them in baskets. My husband always jokes that like I would put him in a basket and write label the basket with husband if I could. Um, so that, you know, receiving this humongous box of medication, I remember on the first day when I had to start the shots was kind of like shocking. And you had to think like, oh my God, like this is so much. And it was also messy, you know, and just like not nice to look at. Um, so 
that's literally a simple thing that I did. Just take out a basket and organize everything neatly. And in some way or form, it brought me some kind of joy and, and made me feel better about it. And then the, the, the third thing in this joyful bucket that I, we did was um, even like while doing the shots, try to make the experience like as light and fun. Um, I decided to do the majority of shots myself. I don't know if that's because, again, I'm a bit of a control freak or it just, you know, kind of made me feel better just like doing it myself. Um, some of the shots towards the end, my husband did. Um, but yeah, we just kind of, you know, try to make it as fun as possible. Like we would sing songs like shots, 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 you know, <laughs> or at some point I started singing like another one bites the dust. And I don't know, it just made it like a bit more fun. Um, and then at the end, we would always like give each other a super long hug. And that was kind of also really nice. Um, I always did the shots in the morning towards the end you have to do one in the morning and in the evening but it was just kind of also nice right to like start the day kind of connected with your partner um and yeah honestly all of these three things just really helped me get into a state where I wasn't dreading it so much right because especially if you do it in the morning it's so easy to wake up and you're like oh my god no like I my stomach is already so sore and blue like how can I get into a mindset of like putting a needle again in me so doing all these small things like truly help me especially in the first few days almost like look forward to it right because it kind of also you know made me feel like okay it's one step closer to our end goal so yeah really just finding joy and trying to you know make it as joyful truly helped me Tip number two is to try to free yourself from expectations. And I know that's a really tough one, but it's, and, and, and it really goes with what I said previously, like try to not think of yourself as a statistic. And while averages and percentages can be really helpful, everybody literally is unique. So even though doctors tell you, you know, from all the eggs that fertilize on average, we get, I don't know, 30% become embryos. This might not be what happens in your case. You might get less or you might get more. I, and again, I'm not going to talk about the specific numbers, but I got way less eggs than we thought we would get. It turned out that a lot of my follicles were actually empty. Um, but then from those eggs that we got, we got such a good rate of how many fertilized and even how many became embryos. And then even how many we genetically tested and they were good embryos, right? So it was, you know, some bad news in the beginning, but then some really great news in the end. So, and all of these percentages that they tell you, because normally they say like, well, you get about, you know, 75% of follicles of eggs. Then from that number around 60% fertilized from that number, you know, around 30%, like that's all helpful and that's great. And that might apply to you. It absolutely did not apply to me in good and in bad ways. So truly just try to go into this without expectations and just take it as it comes. Because um, I think especially if it's your first stimulation cycle, and I should preface also saying that like I only did one. I know a few people who had to do several. So of course that's different because I think once you do one with your doctor, they know a bit better how your body reacts to the medication so they can adjust it. So, you know, you might have even better chances with the second or third one to get to an outcome that you want. But um, yeah, I, I just truly learned in this experience that we are so unique. And while numbers can be helpful, you also shouldn't really fixate too much on them. And the same thing with like kind of freeing yourself from expectations. And I know this one is so tough, but really 
freeing yourself from timing expectations. And it's really tough, right? Because it, and it's the same when you try naturally, you start thinking like, oh, it works in this cycle, you know, the baby would be due then, it would be this and that zodiac sign if, you, if you're into that. Um, and I, I did that myself and I do still do that a lot. But really try to, you know, calm your mind as much as possible because it does not serve you it makes you only feel more anxious and it only puts more pressure on you and that honestly brings me also to the third tip of truly taking care of yourself your mind and your body and that should really be your priority when you go into the stimulation phase it's it's that's what should be like your number one priority no matter what else is going on in your life taking care of yourself it could be different for, you know, everyone, for me, I, I've been going to acupuncture once a week for now over a year. It truly helps me so much. Again, and I know you might think like, what, she's doing even more needles? <laughs> yes, it is more needles, but I really came to truly love it because it relaxes me. I sometimes, you know, kind of fall in a light nap. So it's just something that truly helps me stay calm. It also really gives me a time to zoom out no matter what stress is going on in work and life, whatever. This time is for myself and I truly love it. Coaching is something that I also started doing this year, has been so helpful, not only in personal development, but especially going through this fertility journey. So, you know, whatever it is for you, acupuncture, coaching, therapy, all of these things, and especially also focusing on what's going on up here in your mind will truly help you get through it. Um, what I also try to do is almost accept that anxiety will be there, right? So like in, in, in one way or in another, you will feel anxious and, and you will have, you know, these anxious thoughts, um, but that's okay. I love the water. The water is my element. So that's kind of a metaphor that I created for myself that truly helps me. And that's looking at anxiety um, as big waves, right? So if you imagine you're in the ocean, you're swimming and a huge wave is coming your way. Right? You, and you have really have two choices. You can either let the wave truly crash over you. You will, you know, it will be hard for you to breathe. You might get some water in your nose, salt in your eyes. Who knows how long it will take you to, you know, kind of get back to the surface, kind of fully lose control. Or you can make the conscious decision to kind of, you know, swim under the wave because you see it coming. So you can just dive into the ocean, swim under the wave and come out on the other side. So kind of make the conscious decision to hold your breath for a second and come out on the other side. And that's how I honestly view those anxious thoughts, right? I just accept that they're there. I accept that they're coming, but then I make the conscious decision to not let them overflow me, overwhelm me, but calm my breath almost right, like visualize how I'm diving under this wave and coming out on the other side. And that metaphor truly helps me get to these really, you know, difficult times and difficult thoughts. Um, then in this bucket is to really decide, you know, if you want to tell people or if you don't want to tell people. And I think really both ways can work, right? Um, we decided to tell some people that we wanted to tell. Uh, we decided to not tell other people. And I think that's totally fine. Like there's no one 
thing or one right or wrong, you know, way to go about this. Um, I think it's definitely helpful to have a support network. So if you decide that you don't want to tell anyone, but you have a partner you're doing this with, I think that's already great, right? To have one support person. I would recommend if you do egg freezing by yourself, it would be super helpful to open up to at least one person. Um, you know, we opened up to some of our best friends also, and it truly really helped um, us personally because, you know, it can feel so alienating. It can feel so lonely. Um, so, you know, opening up to others, telling them also about the process, for me, it was also a lot almost educating my girlfriends in the same way that I'm doing now about, you know, get your fertility check. That's what I experienced. Um, and then also, you know, connecting with other couples and other friends of ours who actually said like, oh, actually, you know what, we're going through the same thing because um, that's the thing, like more people go through this than you think and having these conversations and, and opening up to people can really, truly help. And in the in this telling bucket, um, it's really up to you. But I even made the decision to tell at work, to tell my manager, um, and simply for the reason that I knew that in those weeks of stimulation, um, and of course also when it came to the egg retrieval day when I took a day off, um, I probably wouldn't be able to give 100% at work. So, um, and we also have like a policy where you have to come into the office for a couple of days per week, and I also knew that that would not be possible. Because, you know, I mean, I had to give these shots. I was very bloated and feeling completely not like myself. So I just knew, like, I want to and I have to work from home these weeks. So, yeah, I, I truly told my manager. He was totally supportive. Um, and I can really, you know, suggest or recommend to do that. Because so often, and I have a whole podcast on this with, with Elizabeth um, O'Neill, which I truly recommend you listen to. But so often, no matter what we go through in life, you feel like, oh, we have, we cannot, you know, let other people see that weakness. We can, we have to still show up and do 100% and be 100%. But, you know, that's just complete rubbish, right? Because we are people, we're humans, we can have hard days. Um, so it's completely fine, you know, to tell others that you're going through this and that that's happening. And um, yeah, just truly embrace also your true and authentic self and at work, no matter what you're going through to bring every side of you to the situation. So tip number four is to do your own research and do not settle for anything. And that is probably one of the most important tips because what I truly realize is that doctors are great. And I mean, it's it's incredible to think like the advancements in medicine and what is possible, but doctors are not gods. And, you know, I we changed doctors in the process because with the first one, I just didn't feel, you know, we just didn't vibe and I just didn't feel like really comfortable because especially when you think about IVF like this stuff also costs a lot a lot of money and while we were very grateful to be in a position where also our work um, we, we had the benefit both me and my husband at work that it would cover the costs um, but it's it's still a huge expense and many fertility clinics truly push you towards doing it and you just like you just really have to protect yourself from that. Like you're not a cash cow and you have to be so careful with choosing the right doctor. And once I got that vibe from our first clinic that they were really kind of pushing us towards that, um, I started looking from different doctors and I made appointments, I think with like three others. But then um, our doctor, when we met him, we just both knew like, 
this is the doctor. He did not push us towards IVF at all. He told us, you know, that he's pretty certain that it will also work naturally. But if it's up to us if we want to do this or not, he's just here to do whatever, you know, works for us. So that was just such, you know, a good feeling to, again, get a bit of that um, control back and just feel like you are in the driver's seat and you're not just like going left and right or like like a marionette, right? Like doing whatever a doctor tells you to do. So super, super important to not be afraid, you know, get a second, get a third, get a fourth, get a fifth opinion, like truly trust your gut. Like when you find the right doctor, you will know that that is the doctor for you. And and with that, really do your own research. And, and there's so much information out there, um, right? I mean, I hope you're listening to my podcast. Maybe this provides you with some insights, uh, answer some of the questions that you had. But there's so many more great videos out there, also videos by doctors. There's so much literature out there, books, um, so, so much. And it can also be really overwhelming. And it, again, really depends on the type of person you are. So for me, ideal, you know, my kind of coping mechanism is jumping into action. I, I love doing research, digging into a topic. I get a bit obsessed by it. But at the other hand, like it truly helps me to be fully, you know, or to try to gain as much knowledge as possible about a topic. And, you know, I, I did a lot of research and I literally came to our IVF doctor with a list of probably like 30 questions. And he took the time to answer every single one of them. And I remember it was like our first appointment. It was, you know, kind of scheduled and also paid for for one hour. And we ended up being there for almost two. And he didn't charge us extra and anything. And there was also, again, a sign that he truly is the right doctor for us. Um, but yeah, don't be afraid to do it. Don't be afraid to do your own research. Ask the questions. Um, bring as many questions as you have to your doctor. Doctor, and if you feel like they're getting annoyed at you asking those, move on. You know, then that doctor is not for you because, again, this whole IVF process is such a will be such a difficult, challenging time for your mind, for your body. So the one thing that you can control is to make sure you have a partner, you have a doctor on your side who will be, you know, your advocate, who will do whatever you truly want to do and not, you know, kind of push you in a direction that you don't feel comfortable with. You have to be your own biggest advocate. And I learned that so much in that process to truly, you know, advocate for myself, advocate for my needs, you know, telling no or yes, or, you know, kind of truly being like, hey, I see you want to do this protocol, but what about that? Like truly, you know, to not be afraid to also question things and, and to really just advocate for your own health. I think that that's a really important one. And the fifth tip, um, and that is probably the most challenging one for myself, and, and I, I'm sure for many people out there as well, and that is learning to let go. Um, truly, 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 probably the hardest thing to do, and it's so much easier said than done. But also, you know, I, I found that there is something quite beautiful and quite serene in learning to do it especially when you're such like a control freak like me, type A, trying to plan. It, and I, I truly think like that maybe is one of the reasons, you know, because everything happens for a reason. And I really believe that it's easy to go into this mindset of, oh, why me? Why am I going through this? Why, you know, are some of my friends conceiving without even trying? Try to let that go. Because, you know, it will only, you will only spiral into a negative mindset. But if you truly embrace and, you know, kind of understand that this is happening for whatever reason, and it's the same way I was talking about diving under the waves, like it's up to you to try to see it as something you can learn from, as something that will make you stronger. 
something to connect also to your intuition. For me, it was a lot also connecting into that female energy and that intuition that I've kind of ignored for many years prior to that. So that's a very important thing to kind of accept almost that beauty and letting go and losing control and just trusting the whole process of it all. That whole experience brought both me and my husband also to a stage where we just experienced gratefulness in a much different way we used to like now we literally tell each other before we go to sleep every night what are the three things you're grateful for today and sometimes they can be super small like the sun is shining or you know our dog being the the cute amazing self that she is but I think this whole process just made you feel so grateful for what you have and also learning stories from other people who struggled even more like it truly connects you to letting go of like all these expectations and all of these negative thoughts about why me or when will it happen and just be present, be in the now and do, you know, kind of try to live each day to the fullest. And I know it sounds so cliche, but there is so much beauty and power and in, 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 in really embracing that and trying to live by that. So these are my five main tips um, for, you know, my five main learnings for what I took from the IVF stimulation process, my five main tips for anyone going through it. And as I mentioned in the beginning, I also have one bonus tip for anyone who knows someone going through this. So maybe you're a partner, maybe you're a husband, a, a wife, uh, a significant other, maybe you're a best friend of, you know, a woman going through this um, and you just don't know, you know, what to do. So I, I just have one one tip for you. And that is, you know, accept that you cannot fully understand what this person is going through. And try to not pretend that you can, because I think oftentimes we, we find ourselves in a situation where we're like, oh, I know what you're going through, or oh, I went to something similar, but no. If you haven't experienced this, if you haven't given yourself shots, if you haven't had these crazy hormone levels that you will have when you give yourself so many shots, you can truly not comprehend, understand, feel the same as the person going through it. So try to really, you know, letting go of, I, I know what you're going through or I can totally relate, but just be there, you know, and, and just be there in a way that this person needs it. Literally, my mom always says it very nicely, like give them your physical or metaphorical hand and tell them, you know, I'm here for you if you need me. But if you don't, it's also totally fine. I will, you know, I will not bug you. I will not bug you with questions. If if you need me, please call me, right? I'll be there in a second, but just don't pester people. Don't be like too much in their, you know, in their private space because all of this is so intimate and all of this is so private. Um, so and it, it can be for some people also really, really hard to open up about a lot of this. But um, I think the best thing you can do is to try to, you know, just be there, but without being too pushy. And again, just really giving this metaphorical hand and saying, here it is, like, I'm here for you. If you want to take it, if you don't, I will not be offended at all. If the person that you are, um, that is that you know that is going to this does tell you like, hey, yes, you know, I'm going through this and I would love your support. Then, you know, a few small things that you can do is send, you know, flowers, send soup, um, especially on the day of the egg retrieval, because that is a really exciting day, right? It's a minor surgical procedure, so it can also be really nerve wracking. Send, you know, a text. I, I received so many texts from like my best girlfriends. Um, 
voice messages, you know, I think those things can be so nice. Um, but again, with those, try to, you know, communicate that like, I'm thinking of you, positive thoughts, you know, good luck, um, and truly like, don't be demanding with, you know, information. Um, and yeah, just simply, simply try to, you know, do whatever this person going through it feels like they need from you um, without really demanding anything in return. So that is my bonus tip for anyone who knows someone going through the IVF stimulation phase. So yes, this was my IVF stimulation experience with my five top tips for how to get through it. Um, I hope it was helpful for anyone going through this, for anyone maybe also doing research on IVF and considering if they want to do it. Um, I'm more than happy to also record more episodes on this. I have another one that will be recorded next week with um, an acupuncturist that specializes in fertility acupuncture. It was actually my personal acupuncturist. She's amazing and I'm so excited that she'll be coming on my podcast to talk about this so there's a couple more things in the planning for this little fertility series but um yeah if you have any questions comments anything you want like to know maybe anything i didn't cover um please pop them in the comments i um, would absolutely love you know to continue that conversation and to provide any content that's helpful of course if you like the episode it would be great if you could like it or leave it a review um so yes thank you so much for tuning in and i look forward to the next time Thank you.